Good evening. It's Tuesday the 4th of September and I don't know if you can hear the pairing but I'm here with my little cat Torty to record the cast for the week and I almost went, no it's too hard but there's actually a couple of things that I did just want to mention. Um, one is that I started watching the new Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons cartoon that's on Netflix, Disenchanted. And I watched a couple of episodes and I think I'll watch some more. It has an interesting kind of tone to it. It's a bit different. It's not quite so hyperactive. There's lots going on in it, but it's it feels like, um, oh, I, I hesitate to say like a level up from the a whole swathe of um, cartoons that followed in the wake of the success of The Simpsons. I mean, everything's sort of like from Futurama through to Rick and Morty and, um, and yeah, there's something about Disen Disenchanted that I think is really good, really interesting. And um, a couple of voices that I recognise, one of the best voices that they've used is Matt Berry from the IT crowd. Well, I don't, I don't really think of him mostly as being from the IT crowd because he was only in the second season. He plays the son of Denim... Um, uh, he plays the sort of the crude, rude son who comes back to inherit the the business. But he was also in um, The Toast of London, which is later than The IT Crowd. And he's also in um, episodes of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And Mighty Boosh. He was in some episodes of Mighty Boosh as well. He's really fucking funny and he's got a very distinctive voice. And um, he plays the ridiculous revolting man very well and that's that's really his character i'm not sure if i recognize the the voice of the girl she sounds you know how it is with voices in cartoons they sound really familiar and you think is that right? sometimes i have to stop watching it and look up the voices on imdb and go okay before my brain will let me concentrate on the show but yeah it's good stuff and i'm enjoying it and i'll hopefully get around to watching some more I've been re-watching Black Mirrors. Um, I re-watched the episode that it was the second episode ever, I think, the sort of episode two, season one, um, 15 Million Merits. And that's an episode that gets more interesting the more things progress, you know. Like I was reading this article today that was about um, social media influences and whether or not it was safe to make your child into a YouTube star. And the day before, I found this really great piece of content that was a video about young British influencers and how they post on Instagram and how it makes them feel. And, you know, and then there was another article that I was reading the day before, which was about the insidious um, tobacco advertising through product placement through Instagram influencers that is um, subverting the tobacco advertising laws that have been put in place, obviously, to keep people from smoking and getting cancer and dying. And um, there's a really interesting kind of lawlessness that's that applies to lots of different fields. I mean, Instagram and promotion is one of them. Um, surveillance and privacy is another one. Um, uh, yeah, there's 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 a... Technology is shifting what's possible and the innocent person may not see the same potential in the technology as the um, unscrupulous person. So, 
yeah, it's just sort of a new battlefield, I suppose, for the war against between good and evil, like everything. On another slightly different note, um, I I noticed that there's been some really positive reviews of the Melbourne Writers Festival, and it makes me feel extremely sad that I didn't get along to more of the things that were on. Um, the Ronan Farrow uh, uh, live chat sounds amazing. Magda Zabanski's um, funeral sounded amazing. Um, there's just lots of things I really would have liked to have got to and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really hard when you feel sort of stuck between what you have to do and what you'd like to do when it feels like what you'd like to do is more what you should be doing and what you have to do is actually stuff you shouldn't be doing. So it gets a little, um, conf not confusing, but, um, I can't think what the word is. It's not exactly confusion. It's more like compromising you feel like you're compromising all the time and you're not being true to yourself and you're not on the right path so I've been feeling that a bit in the past week but I also managed to do some things that really made me feel the complete opposite of that like I that I that I was back that I was on and on the right path and that I was interacting with the right people and that I was doing the right things and sort of starting to see the path beyond what's immediately you know under my feet and it was a really nice feeling it was it was a really beautiful and uh evolutionary feeling it's a really good so um hopefully you'll be hearing more of that in my voice and less of this just sort of eternally pissed off exhaustion that seems to be present in most of these episodes um I did finally get around to putting a lot of that new music that I bought onto the SD card to play in the car. So I made myself a, a playlist that was just my favourites and realising again and again and again and again what an amazing album and series of tracks the M83 trilogy is and also the track that comes right after Wait on Hurry Up We're Dreaming, Raconte Moi Une Histoire, which is just we could be a whole group of friends, a whole group of frogs. You want to play with me? It's like the most adorable thing. And also, I'm dying to know if the voiceover in Reunion is Winona Ryder because it sounds like her. It sounds like her. And that, that's got me thinking a lot about distinctive female voices and how important it is for people to have distinctive voices and how lovely it is when people have distinctive voices and... And that, oh, also watching all those Sarah Paulson clips, which I watched on YouTube, and Sarah Paulson is a very funny person. She's also an extremely talented um, uh, imitator, like a mimic. She's, she's very, very good. Yeah, she's really good. There was like a whole clip series of her on Jimmy Kimmel and another one of her on the Ellen show. Ellen's terrifying her. And then there's, there's all these other interviews of her with Kate Blanchett around the promotions of Ocean's 8, which I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen the Breaker Operas. I still haven't got out to see a whole bunch of things that I would really like to see. So I won't, I won't make that a boring topic because let's move on to something that I have done. I've just baked a banana cake because I had four bananas that were starting to go on the turn. And I've started, um, with the help of some friends at my work, what we've been calling the Wednesday Recess Time Dessert Club. So Wednesday, if you're a 9 to 5 Monday to Friday worker, is commonly referred to as hump day. And I think that there's something about getting from 
I, because I work in a school environment, sort of school hours around me, um, the logical time to take your tea break is recess and the logical time to take your lunch is the lunch break. And, um, and at 3.30 you want to go home, <laughs> like school. But um, so we have this thing where somebody brings in dessert and it started because I make a lot of desserts that my children don't really want to eat. I, I think my cooking and the things that I want to make and that are satisfying for me to try making are a bit more adventurous than what they really want to be eating. Like they're really quite happy to just eat pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. And, you know, I'm sure that actually my son will probably eat some of this banana bread, but my daughter, she just doesn't seem to like anything that I make except chocolate cakes. Like everything that I make that I think, oh, you shouldn't have too much of that. You know, so like there goes giving her sort of healthy things. I do my best, I think. But we had McDonald's for dinner tonight, heavens above. But we got to the shops, we did the grocery shopping, and then it was like, well, if we get home now and I have to cook something for 20 minutes and then let it cool down and then feed the baby, he's just going to be, he's going to be ropeable. So instead we had easy dinner and then we went back, we watched some Ben and Holly and then kids had a bath and then, you know, bedtime. Bedtime rituals are so are so important for my family to survive you know we really do need them to be consistent okay last thing that i'm going to talk about and then i'm going to go do my languages and go to bed i got my copy of white fragility in the mail uh the book is by robin d'angelo i think i heard her being talked about or interviewed on something else um its uh, subtitle is Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And what it really is is kind of a popular popular version of what you would consider to be cultural studies. And it reminds me a lot of, I think his name was Richard Dyer. He wrote a book called White, which was all about sort of the perpetual invisibility and dominance of white culture and how it's, it's a very, very s- successful trick <clears throat> to have a dominant culture that refuses to be identified and is constantly avoiding being critiqued or defined. And, um, yeah, it's uh, this, this really, really fantastic. So the author's note is uh, about identity politics. There's a bit of a overblown intro by somebody else, which I thought was a little bit... Yeah, there's an intro called Kaiser Soze, Beyonce and the Witness Protection Program written by Michael Eric Dyson and it's a little bit flowery and overdone and I think really if you have got a copy of White Fragility, you don't really need to read that. Skip skip through that and read it afterwards if you love the book as much as he obviously did. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, the author's note about identity politics um, da, 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 da. This is real. This really struck me actually as a, as a female because <clears throat> I found that not understanding how much work is done by women in homes is is one of the great failures of feminism and and one of the the ever present the still present not ever present because it could be fixed but it's one of the still present barriers to real equality of access to. Um, economic contribution and um, <coughs> value. But there's this great bit where it's like, uh, the identities of those sitting at the tables of power in this country have remained remarkably similar. White, male, middle and upper class, able-bodied. 
Acknowledging this fact may be dismissed as political correctness, but it's still a fact. The decisions made at those tables affect the lives of those not at the tables. Exclusion by those at the table doesn't depend on willful intent. We don't have to intend to exclude for the results of our actions to be exclusion. While implicit bias is always at play because all humans have bias, inequity can occur simply through homogeneity. If I am not aware of the barriers you face, then I won't see them, much less be motivated to remove them. Nor will I be motivated to remove the barriers if they provide an advantage to which I feel entitled. And what really struck me about that bit was how you could apply that to <coughs> free time and money within a domestic relationship and how um, dangerous it is when those things get out of, out of balance. So yeah, really, really excited about this book. Glad it arrived, glad I bought it. Looking forward to reading it, hoping that it's it's written in a style that will actually be enjoyable to read and it won't just be one of those, oh, yes, I, you know, I have a copy of it but I never read it type books. And you can hear that tail end of the pharyngitis that I had last week is still making my throat a little bit dry so I won't stick around. But I did want to say all of that. So I have and um, take care of yourself and I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>